This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just tell folks who you are? Okay, my name is Edwin Fruit. I'm a member of the Socialist Workers Party. Uh, I am running for City Council in Minneapolis in Ward 1. Uh, my uh, co-person running is also uh, Gabrielle Prosser, who's running in Ward 11, which I th- I think you have interviewed her previously. I did, yeah. Um, as well. So we're both running. We're both running on the same program of the Socialist Workers Party. And uh, our, you know, our idea is to get out is to get out our program for working people, what we think needs to be done, what the problems are, how, how they're going to be solved. And uh, on a broader issue than just what happens in our particular wards. You know, we're we run in these elections to try to bring a broader view of what is facing working people in the United States and, and around the world and what it's going to take to make the changes in a very unstable world that seems to be getting more unstable as we as we, uh, uh, you know, as the time goes on every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a. You know, I got involved in the socialist movement in the 1970s around the anti-Vietnam War movement. I've been involved in the labor movement. I've been a member of different unions uh, in my work career and involved in different social protest movements, you know, against police brutality for immigrant rights, uh, other kinds of, you know, movements for social change. And uh, that's that's what we do in our party. Most of the members of our party are in industrial unions because we think that's what's going to be the motor force for making change the working class and its organizations. I'm in the uh, bakery, candy, tobacco, and grain millers union, otherwise known as the BCTGM, um, which has been involved in a whole number of labor actions over the last couple of years. Um, so that's a little bit of the background on you know what I've been involved in here. Yeah, and uh, Gabrielle and I are also involved in uh, defense of the Cuban Revolution, which we think is very important, and is something that uh, the United States has been intent on you know, overthrowing ever since 1961, regardless of which administration and which party has been in power in the White House. So we talk about that, you know, as as we can as well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, we just had. Uh, I'm just. I was working on editing an interview with uh, somebody who was on the. Mayday Brigade to Cuba uh, this year, uh, just kind of giving a report back on what they did while they were there. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you're running in Ward 1. Um, can you just talk quick a little bit about, uh, you know, so folks know where where is Ward 1? Because uh, sometimes it gets a little confusing with these wards. And then, um, you know, what if anything's going on there? And then what's your strategy to win uh, this election? Okay, ward 1 is Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, the east of the Mississippi River, north of basically north of Broadway Avenue, and then it goes to pretty much to, uh, to the uh, 
Columbia Heights area, which sure. is you know, not in Minneapolis, basically. So that's that's pretty much what makes up Ward One. It's very working class, uh, you know, kind sure. of district. And uh, you know, our strategy is yes, we'd like to win, but we're mainly trying to get out our ideas to people and try and try and explain exactly what we stand for. We think that's the most important thing to do. And if we win, fine. And if we don't, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the way it is. But it's not so much trying to win an election as trying to get out our ideas and convince people about what we talk about and to subscribe to our newspaper, which is called The Militant, which is an international paper that's been around since 1928. And we have a campaign and book center on uh, Central Avenue, Northeast. And we have uh, programs there weekly on political topics. We have uh, books there, which you know people may be interested in that explain what we're for and uh, have a lot of information on revolutionary fighters and history that you don't get in the schools and generally in you know in in the media, which, which most people read. So those are the things that we're trying to do with uh, with the campaign. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I saw. Um self-identified uh, socialist city council member for Ward 2, Robin Wonsley on Democracy Now! the other day, um, talking about uh, Governor Tim Wall's betrayal of the Uber and Lyft drivers and the nurse staffing legislation, which is something that's close to my heart. I am a nurse. Um, as well as talking about the Department of Justice report on the ongoing violence and racism being directed against community members by Minneapolis Police Department under the now strong mayor system overseen by Mayor Jacob Fry. Do you think you, you know, if you were to win, you'd be able to bring, you know, similar national attention to workers' issues coming out of Minneapolis? And, you know, do you have any specific comments on either of those, uh, those two issues? Well, one of the main things that we talk about in our campaign, which gets obfuscated by all the politicians and right. the media, is we're saying this is a question of class versus class. It's not we Americans or anything like that. There's right. a working class and its allies, which include for, you know working farmers mm. and small business people and people like that. But the working class is the largest class we're talking about. And there's the ruling class, the capitals who run, run the country. They run the economy. They, they run the politics, the government. They make all of the major decisions that affect working people. And then every four years, they try to scam us by saying, <laughs> you know, you have a choice between the Republicans and the Democrats, which are both capitalist parties. Right. And you have to pick one of the two. And it's, you know, and we, we're trying to explain to people falling into the lesser of two evils is bad for working people. It's like, do you want to get shot or do you want to get stabbed? Mm. You have a choice. And we say no. And that's why one of the things that we call for in our campaign is for the unions to break from the Democratic Party and form a labor party. This is one of the few major industrialized countries in the world where the working class has no political voice of its own. There's no working class political party in this country. And that's a it's a weakness because working people are always trying to fight back through their unions and other ways to figure out, you know, how to how to change things. But there's no political arm of the working class. And that's one of the one of the things we call for the unions to break and form a real labor party that represents the interests of working people 
that begins to have its own foreign policy and not just uh, murder whatever the Democrats or Republicans you know decide is in the best interest of their class. So anyway, that's what we try to put forward. And as far as what you were just talking about, I mean, the Democratic Party puts itself forward as the party of working people. But when push comes to shove, it represents the class that puts it in power, which is the, the ruling industrial, you know, capitalist right. class in this country. Uh, a good example of that is what happened uh, to the rail workers right. just a few months ago. Remember that. Uh, they were talking about trying to get a decent contract for their workers and going and possibly going on strike. Um, this is very important because one of the things that we've been covering in our newspaper is what happened in East Palestine, Ohio, mm -hmm. when there was a, a derailment of the uh, Norfolk Southern Railroad, which you may remember happened back in January or February, yep. where toxic waste was you know, it was spilled, was released, uh, and um, the company decided to burn off all the waste and, and left it all on the ground. And the people there have been fighting against this. Right. They're, they're basic, you know, their town has been basically destroyed in, in many ways. Their health is, is in question. They've been demanding that the government come in there and provide health, you know, uh, relief for what, what they've been facing. There are rivers and, and streams in the whole area there in Ohio and western Pennsylvania have been, um, you know, contaminated by what this what this thing did. Right. And there's a, been a real fight back of the community and of the unions. And the important thing I'm raising here is that the unions, the rail workers unions, have been demanding for years that there be a different way of, of, of staffing the railroads, the railroad companies, all of them, have been cutting back staff. I, th I think the last thing I read was in 2014, they've had a 40% decrease in the number of rail workers right. that work either on the trains or maintenance, which, you know, the unions represent, different unions represent different uh, categories of workers. The, tra the, the trains have been getting longer. Yep. You know, we're talking about mile and a half, two mile trains, and you got two people in the front. Well, how the heck can you see what's going on on the train in, in that way? You know, you can't. They used to have cabooses where you had people in the back and people in the front. They did away with all that because they're, you know, they're trying to save money. And some of the real companies are even moving to try to have nobody on the train and have everything computer controlled. Right. Um, and when, you, when you've got these long trains with oil and hazardous waste and all that sort of thing, it's a danger not only to the workers on the train, but all these communities. I don't know how many communities, thousands of communities in the United States have these trains going through the center of their town, you know, yep. and it's a real danger. The rail workers have been trying to fight to get more staffing, to get better conditions, to get the right to have sick days off, which they don't have. You know, it's like on call. You're on call 24-7. Mm -hmm. And if you take days to go to a doctor, you're going to get penalized. And if you have too many of those days, you're going to get fired. So they've been fighting against all that. And that's what they threatened to go on strike around, not so much against wages, but against the working conditions. Right. The ability to see your family once a week, which you can't when you're on a 24 seven call, you know, it's like you just go to work and that's it. You don't see your kids. You can't take them to, 
you know, the baseball practice, you know, all that kind of thing. So anyway, the upshot of all this was that the Biden administration decided that a strike would be too harmful to the economy. And they, you know, got it rammed through uh, Congress, basically, that the strike would be illegal if they had a strike. That's the Democratic Party. That's the side that that's the cut, the the the. Uh, party that says they're in favor of working people and all that sort of thing. Right. When push comes to shove, they take the side of the bosses because that's who they, that's who they represent. So anyway, I know that's a long way of explaining it, but that's how we view the democratic party and why we need another party that really represents the interests of working people that would, you know, that would push forward the kind of demands that working people are, you know, really need. And do you? This isn't in the. This isn't in what we uh, whatever. But do you see? Um, do you see any movement on that front as far as the unions? Uh, uh, you know, uh, breaking from the Democratic Party in any way, or any new formations coming together that could uh, uh, potentially be a future, you know, Workers Party or Labor Party of some kind. At this moment, I would say at this point we haven't seen such movement. Mm-hmm. But as Working people continue to get pushed back. Right. You know, you sign a, a labor contract, and then the next day the bosses are trying to act, you know, push it back again as best they can. You can make gains, short term gains, but as long as the bosses are in control, as long as the government is run by the capitalists, they're going to continue pushing to increase their profit rates any way they can. Right. And of course, the way they do it is by taking on working people. So we think, you know, it's not a like, well, it's not what you would say is we don't, you know, it's not like a demand that we say you have to do this, you have to do this. Right. We're trying to make an, a, a propaganda point about what's needed, and we think as things continue to deteriorate for working people, there will be layers in the labor movement that will come to this kind of conclusion. There's no other conclusion you can come to because as long as you keep supporting one or the other of the two big parties, you working people will lose. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who gets elected, the conditions. I, I remember in 2008 when Obama got elected, right. people were out in the streets crying. and Oh, we finally got a black president. We finally got a good guy. You know, we finally got rid of the Republicans. Right. And after eight years of Obama, things got worse. They didn't get any better because he also mm-hmm. is part of a party that represents the interests of the wealthy and the rich. It's not going to change as long as you keep supporting um you know the, uh, the, the the parties of, of the wealthy, and you can't you can't run as a Democrat or Republican if you don't have money. Oh yeah, and you don't get money unless you get the sources that provided for you, and then you have to pay back. You know that's, that's the way these parties are. You, you know that in Congress, overwhelming majority of people who are in Congress and the Senate, they're millionaires. Yep, they have to be because you can't run for office if you're not. So anyway, it, we don't see it yet, but we think that it's coming. And working people have no choice. You, you've got to figure out a way to politically answer what the, the bosses are doing to us. Yeah, you uh, you recently, uh, I saw a forum protest FBI tax on constitutional freedoms was the title of an article on uh, the militant June 5th. Um, and this was, in course, um, in reference to the raids uh, perpetrated against the African People's Socialist Party. Uh, yes. Uh, they're the ones that lead the Huru movement, like uh, Chairman O'Malley Shetela. 
Uh, can you speak right. about the history of this issue of FBI spying, raids, harassment? I know it was discussed in the article, and then you can you just talk a little yeah. bit about the militant forum uh, here in Minneapolis and, and how that went and, and, and what was discussed. Okay, I'm going to read you a short paragraph. This yeah. is from a book that, that we just put out called The Low Point of Labor Resistance is Behind Us. Socialist Workers Party looks forward. One of the resolutions in this book is called Opposing U.S. Rulers' Assaults on Freedoms Protected by the Constitution and Their Use of the Political Police. Mm. What it says is, defending and extending the freedoms protected by the U.S. Constitution is at the center of the class struggle today. Workers and farmers must organize and act to prevent the federal government's assault on these freedoms, which we have won in class battles over some two and a half centuries. We must oppose the U.S. rulers' relentless drive to refurbish the reputation and expand the use of the government's political police, first and foremost, the FBI. And this assault is being led by the Democratic Party and the Biden administration right, right. now. Um, the history of the FBI, which we have in books, you know, that you can you can get, um, goes back to basically the late 1930s when the U.S. was preparing for World War II. Uh, and it was, all this was put in place by Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, and J. Edgar Hoover, of course, was the first, you know, head of the FBI at this point. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point, late 1930s, they decided that the FBI would be the political police of the, of the government to make sure that there wasn't going to be any opposition, domestic opposition to U.S., uh, getting involved in the World War II. They were also uh, trying to clamp down on the, what had come out of the 1930s, which the, you know, the formation of the CIO and, right. and the formation of all the great industrial unions that were formed in the 1930s with, a, you know, with, with the movement that, was, that, that happened there, and right. especially here in Minneapolis. I don't know whether you know about yeah. the history of the, the Teamster struggles here in the 1930s. Yep. Um, the, the big fights, and we have a four-volume series on that about the Teamster battles that were fought in Minneapolis and that extended throughout the whole Midwest, basically. You know, with a kind of a union that was a democratic union that uh, was taking an independent stance as far as the war. They wanted to clamp down on that, and and they wanted to also clamp down on other on, on like socialist parties, and they came down hard on the Communist Party, which was the largest party at that point, you know, in the United States, and ours as well. Um, right. And we sued them. The Socialist Workers Party took them to federal court in 1971. And, in and 15 years later, 1986, a, a federal judge ruled in our favor that the FBI had committed all kinds, FBI and other federal agencies had committed all kinds of illegal acts against our party. And I think there were close to a million pages of documents, mm. many redacted, of course, blacked out, right. that explained what they did. Um, getting people fired from their jobs, visiting landlords and saying, did you know that you have a communist living up there? Um, uh, burglaries of, of headquarters, going through trash and getting, getting documents. Um, all kinds of, you know, illegal things. And they never found anything illegal that our party did. This was all done, you know, illegally. And, you know, eventually we won this lawsuit. 
That doesn't mean they're not going to do it again, but it was a pushback. Right. Because there were other suits that were launched by other parties and groups around what the government had done in the 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, in 19, um, 1939, uh, several uh, members of the Teamsters Union in the Midwest were framed up by the government and put in jail uh, during these fights that the Teamsters are waging, you know, mm -hmm. to get recognition and contracts. Right. And then in 1941, um, they raided the headquarters of the Socialist Workers Party uh, here in Minneapolis. And they took out, we didn't have computers in those days, but mm -hmm. they took out boxes of documents and newspapers and magazines and pictures of, you know, revolutionaries and things like that. And, and, um, and then they charged the Socialist Workers Party with conspiracy, which is what they're charging Trump with, and mm. sedition as well. Sedition laws were put in effect in 1917 as a precursor to the U.S. entry in World War I. And as, as you know, uh, Eugene V. Debs, who was the Socialist Party candidate for president many times, was arrested because he made a speech opposing U.S. entry into World War I at, in Canton, Ohio. He was arrested, charged with sedition, and put in jail. And then he ran for president in jail from the Atlanta Penitentiary, 1920, got over a million votes. Mm -hmm. But the point is, they've been using this for a long time, and uh, they're going to continue. And now they're continuing to do it again. For a, a for a while in the 1980s and 90s, the FBI's uh, reputation was kind of pushed back because of what was exposed and what they did against the Black Panthers and other black groups, as well as anti-war groups, socialist groups, all kinds of things. Shootouts with the Black Panthers. They had informants and in all these groups, you know, that, that were used to oh, yeah. uh, help destroy these, you know, try to destroy these groups. That was what the government was doing. So they got pushed back a little bit. And now it's there's a resurgence. Oh, the FBI is not so bad. They're really <laughs> protecting you and all that kind of thing. Right. But, you know, we see the attack, for instance, on Trump. We don't agree with Trump. We don't agree with his politics. We don't agree with what he does and says. But what they are doing to him and what they've tried to do since 2016, it's not a question of did he do something bad. They start off with, we want to get rid of this guy. We don't want him running for office. What can we find on him? Mm. And that's what all these indictments are about. You know, the documents, you know, the so-called national security documents, his business, you know, or, you know, whatever he did with taxes and all that mm. um, is, you know, oh, he paid off this woman not to talk and all that kind of, you know, which is another one of the things he's being charged with. I mean, Capitalist politicians do all that stuff. You know, they usually they don't get caught because they have lawyers that are able to, you know, to defend them. That's that's the way they operate. Mm -hmm. But what the Biden administration is doing is going after him any way they can, try to stop him from, you know, running for president or being president. What we say is, if they can do that to Trump, then who's next? What happens when the working class really starts to mobilize itself and and fight against, you know, against the ruling class here? They're going to use those same methods um, against us. And that's why we say it's important to defend these constitutional rights. And they are, you know, they are basically defying all the all these the right to search and seizure. You know, 
what they did with Trump going in with armed guards into Mar-a-Lago in, in Florida, you know, they didn't do that with Biden when he has documents in his garage or Pence or anybody else. You know, they make a decision whether they're going to do those kinds of things. And they do it to Trump because, it, you know, no, a lot of people don't like Trump. But we say that's a precedent that can be used. And they did it against the uh, African People's Socialist Party a few months before raiding, you know, Trump's headquarters. They did the same thing to them in St. Louis. They raided the headquarters, again, armed guards. They put people in handcuffs, took out all their computers, took all their phones, you know, all that kind of thing in a very uh, aggressive kind of, you know, way. Mm. Um, which we say that's that's what they're really after. They're really after, you know, and then they're accusing them of being Russian agents because they happen to agree with Putin's invasion of Ukraine, which we're totally opposed to. So we don't agree with their position on things, but we don't agree that because they have a different position than U.S. government, they should be prosecuted and, and you know, and, and harassed the way they are being. So. And then this thing with the uh, the MPD, um, this was um, this was found out by um, the uh, Human Rights Commission. Okay. Which um, which was after the uh, the Floyd events, you know, and all that kind of thing. The uh, the Minnesota Department of Human Rights investigated right. the MPD's practices following the murder of George Floyd. Um, and there was, a, I believe there was a consent decree that they were going to make certain changes. The MPD was going to make certain changes and the uh, Human Rights Department was going to kind of oversee those things. Mm-hmm. And this is even before the Department of Justice thing that just came Right, out. right. And they found that they were they were actually spying on the N, on the NAACP, and this is like post 2016. This is not 30 years ago. Right. Uh, Minneapolis officers posed as black community members on social media to criticize the NAACP. Um, they used the accounts of the NAACP to track the activity of their members and to push racist stereotypes about black people, according to what the human rights you know, group found out. Um, and even um, Cynthia Wilson, who uh, appeared at this forum that you're talking about. Right. She said they were, when all this, before all that happened, they thought that the MPD was going to make some reforms. And they were working with the MPD to try to push some of those reforms through. And then she finds out they're spying on her. It was like right. she was amazed, you know, that this, mm-hmm. that they were doing that. And what's the response of Mayor Fry and the, Democratic administration in the city of Minneapolis, oh, we don't really see any problem. We didn't see they did anything illegal. Instead of condemning it and saying mm-hmm. this is not something the MPD should be doing, um, they just, they're taking the side of the MPD. Right. That's the Democratic Party, the real Democratic Party, when it comes to defending workers' rights to, you know, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, right. um, and, and you know, just around their most recent thing with the Department of Justice, which just came out, what, a week ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, it was uh, about pr- the pretty racist recently. practices of the MPD and all that. This is something that goes on every the police department in the country, small town, large town, big right. city. Every they out, city. They put out almost the same report on Louisville Police Department not that long ago. Exactly. Yeah. They did it. They've done it. You may remember a few years ago, there was this 
uh, rogue department in Chicago, which had framed up uh, African-American men, forced them in, into, you know, using torture to force them into confessions. Right. They had the same thing in Los Angeles, a, a rogue grouping within the MP, you know, within right. their police department. It's the nature of the police. They defend the interests of the, the, the property classes, and that's what they do. And you can't, you know, you can't, you can't convince a lion not to be a carnivore, you know. Right. You can't, until we make a revolution in this country, you're not going to change the nature. You can't reform the police because they have a specific purpose to play, and they play it. Right. And, you know, every, every once in a while they say, oh, we're going to do better. We're going to have better training. We're going to do this and that. Right. I mean, they just had an article today in the paper in the Star Tribune about this guy who had been pulled over for a traffic stop because they said he didn't use his turn signal properly. They beat the hell out of him, broke his nose. And then when he complained, they went and raided his house and, and tried to set him up on drug, you know, on a drug charge. I mean, we're talking about 2019 that this yeah. happened, you know. So that's their nature. You can't you can't change it until we change the society. Right. And um, that's that's what we try to explain to people. It's going to take a real a different kind of change to revamp what we know as the police today. Right now, they represent you know the ruling rich, and that's what they do. So uh, I guess one one last thing before we uh, wrap up. So we talked about. Um you know, the need to build a new party or party outside the Democrats and Republicans. Um, you know, we talked about Obama and how there was all this hope for Obama, somebody that spoke out uh, a lot, um, you know, in a po opposition to the neoliberalism of Obama. Um, Cornell West is running for uh, president right now. Um, do you have any, uh, uh, um, you know, feelings on, on that run? Do you see that that could develop into something positive in any way? Or do you think that it's, um, you know, too detached from, you know, labor or other things? Or Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I really haven't seen what his program is. Right. Um, we, we will run, we ran, we've run candidates for president over, you know, since the 1960s, basically. And we'll, we'll have a campaign in 2000. 24 as well. I don't know what he's pushing forward. Uh, we will continue to do, do what we're doing. We'll continue to call for a labor party. Um, and we'll continue talking about, about these issues. You know, there's been a lot of labor resistance over the last several years. I know my union, the BCTGM, has had a number of strikes around the question of scheduling and, you know, having a decent life. Right. Not having to work seven days a week, you know. You may remember the Nabisco, Kellogg's, yep. Frito Lay. There were two in California, uh, John's and Air Bakery, and then there was Corn Nuts last year. Another one. There's another one going on now that just started a couple weeks ago in Memphis, Tennessee, okay. of bakery workers there that were urging people to, you know, get support for and send money to them. Um, and there's other things going on. You know, the our, uh, the UFCW just settled last night a contract with Lunds and Byerly. They were going to go on strike for July 4th weekend. Uh, but it's all part of the same thing. And, of course, the Teamsters, that's coming up. Right. Uh, the end, that's of, a big end one. of July. And I would urge people, the uh, Minneapolis Teamsters, local 638, is doing a rally at their West Broadway UPS head, uh, depot this uh, Friday morning uh, between 8 and 
So I would urge anybody who wants to support the Teamsters and their fight against UPS to get out there and, and you know, show some support for that. And there'll be other things going on right. um, as well. So that's, you know, we urge people to get involved in these, to support any kind of fights, you know, that are going on. You talked about the, uh, the nurses, right. you know, we were out on the picket lines in St. Paul and Minneapolis earlier last fall when, you know, the MNA was, Minnesota Nurses Association was threatening the, you know, the staffing problems, not right. even so much wages as the staffing, which is getting worse and worse. Absolutely. And now the U.S. government's throwing, they're talking about 200, I don't know, in Minnesota, they're saying hey, a quarter of a million people will be thrown off the, uh, the Medi Medicaid rules right. because the COVID rules have been relaxed now so that means they're going to have to go into the private sector and buy insurance which probably most people can't afford with high deductibles you know and all that kind of stuff. that's got to make things worse you know right. in terms of that so anyway we see those kinds of conditions deteriorating and we think it is you know we say that's what why we meet another party that's going to have to fight against these things and flex its arms the the, the working class is the most powerful force that can make these kind of changes, but it has to have a, a political arm to be able to do that. So that's what we're, you know, that's what we're talking about. Well, I really appreciate you speaking with me. Is there anything else uh, you want to share? How um, if people want to find out about, you know, your campaign or connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Well, um, I would urge people to subscribe or look online to the militant, which is the militant, uh, Dot com. You can get that. We have our campaign headquarters at 2401 and a half Central Avenue Northeast, which uh, people can come to. We have, in fact, we'll be doing a program uh, this Saturday night on the question of the Labor Party and what that means. And, you know, just for people to be able to talk that out a little bit about what that's about. Um, one other thing that I would like to mention. Yeah. Uh, just. In, regards to politics today is this whole question of cancel culture, sure. which we think is very dangerous. And it's been going on on the campuses for a couple of years now. You know, if you disagree, if you have a different point of view than certain people, you are banned. And we think that's a real problem. We're for civil debate and discussion and working people being able to discuss things and and figure out what is the way forward. Not for somebody telling you, you can't have this point of view because we, I don't agree with it, you know? And it's, it's, it's a, we think it's a very dangerous kind of precedent to be setting. Um, there was an article by Alan Dershowitz. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, a, a emeritus uh, professor at Harvard Law School. And he's also defended Trump as a lawyer. And he just put out an article that said, I don't know if you've heard about this group. It's a group called the 65 Project. This has as its goal to intimidate lawyers into not representing Trump or anyone associated with him. Mm. Um, he said that um, he actually defended Trump against his impeachment in 2020, which he thought was unconstitutional. He was called by his local library, community center, and synagogue. Old friends refused to speak to him. His wife was ostracized and there were th physical threats to his safety. And the point that he's making, which I think is, is very important, he said, um, hard cases may make bad law, but partisan cases endanger constitutional rights. 
we have to make sure that everybody has the right to a defense, including Donald Trump, so that the Constitution is protected. And that's what I said at the beginning around this whole attack on Trump. Uh, if you can't defend him against, you know, what the what the you know going against these constitutional rights, you're not going to be able to defend yourself either. So we wanted to make that point, and and you know this cancel culture, University of California Berkeley. If you happen to support the state of Israel, you cannot speak at at the University of California, according to the student senate there. You know, we don't agree with that. We say if you support Palestinian rights or if you support the right of Israel, you have the right to express your point of view, and then you discuss it out, and people make up their own minds about you know, about what they think. So anyway, I wanted to get that across. Uh, you know, as well. Well, I appreciate you speaking with me. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, thank and you very much. Anytime, anytime you want to do it again, we're certainly, yeah, Gabrielle and I are certainly available. And that's our special thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.